BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Monday, October 30th, 2023. In a moment, Alistair Crook joins us. Whatever happened to Western invincibility? But first this. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Le- Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Lear Capital, you all know that I am a paid spokesperson for Lear Capital because it's the right thing to do because the government is regulating too much and printing too much money and reducing the value of everything you earn and everything you own. And the best hedge against this is gold and silver. That's what I've done. I know the folks at Lear. I trust the folks at Lear. I've worked with the folks at Lear, and I use their advice when it comes to my investing in gold and silver. You should do the same. Call them at 800-511-4620 or go to learjudgenap.com. You'll have a very nice conversation with a very knowledgeable person who'll send you literature to read, which you can review with your spouse and your financial advisor, and then you can call them back and decide what you want to do. Why Lear? Lear has 25 years experience and thousands of five-star reviews and a 24-hour risk-free guarantee. And when you have this conversation with the Lear representative, you'll find out if you can qualify for a $15,000 gold bonus. So call Lear now, 800-511-4620 or learjudgenap.com. 
Alistair, my dear friend, as always, welcome back uh, to the show and thank you very much uh, for your time. Uh, you have written recently, and, and it, you're correct, it seems as though in, in one day uh, of activity by Hamas uh, on October 7th uh, of this year, the Israeli social compact with the Jewish people who live in Israel and the Israeli myth of security and invincibility have been shattered. Have those shatterings been irretrievable, irreparable? It would seem probably so. <laughs> uh, an Israeli journalist who we know, um, very reputable one, was up in the north. Um, and he went to Kiryat Shemona, which is a, a big town on the borders with uh, Lebanon up in the north, um, 20,000 population, right? empty, deserted. He went to the kibbutz uh, in the north and across the north. He said, there's not a soul. It's completely deserted up in the north. There's just barriers and a few religious uh, soldiers. Um, and there was one old woman who was paralyzed and couldn't move. And she was the only person he found in the whole northern territories of, of, um, of Israel. And he said very clearly, these people, you know, they said to him, you know, we don't trust the government. We don't trust the army. We just do not trust the government at all. We can't come back. And uh, I would imagine that if the uh, mistrust is to be personified, it's directed at Prime Minister Netanyahu, not only because he is the prime minister, not only because he can control the military and intelligence, but because his whole raison d'etre in his four terms as prime minister is, I and I alone can keep you safe and secure. No, that's exactly right. <clears throat> exactly right. And, you know, uh, I, I, there was a, a talk show and um, someone was listening to it and was saying he's never heard such bitter comments about the government. And even a Likud member said, you know, it is difficult for us going out in the streets and things because people are so, so critical. But you have to separate from that from the main thing, whether they love him, whether they hate Netanyahu, overwhelmingly um, these Israelis favor the complete destruction of, of um, Gaza. There was a, a, a former ambassador in Italy on television and just saying, we don't, we're not interested in reason or rational debate. We're not interested. We just want this evil destroyed. We want Gaza destroyed completely. And uh, Netanyahu gave a very um, scatological um, interview. It was an interview, it was only in Hebrew, but the interview was very profound. And he talked, he said, we're facing a cosmic battle between good and global, global evil. And he talked, and he, he, he talked about, um, if you like, the Israelis as the chosen people. Um, and also then, 
um, again uh, referred to Amalek and Samuel, the prophecy of Samuel, um, that Amalek, that God instructed that Amalek, who had, in, who had attacked Israel, who was an enemy of Israel on the flight from Egypt, and Saul had been ordered to kill every one of them. Women, children, even their beasts had to be had to be killed. He made, I think, about two references to that and came back to the theme. We the our soldiers in Gaza are fighting the thousand, three thousand year war um, to reclaim um, the land of Israel against these evil people. So it is becoming very, very much more. I mean, you referred, um, I think, when I last spoke with you to to Erdogan talking about this is increasingly becoming a, a struggle. He feared it was becoming a, a contest uh, between Crescent and the Cross, referring, of course, to the Crusades. And um, uh, it is taking on a, a new tone. It is, of course, too, a, a sort of a a geopolitical struggle, but it is now becoming almost a metaphysical struggle, a struggle about good and evil. He talked about that. Netanyahu said, we are the light fighting against encroaching darkness. So it was very, it was a very dark and very messianic um, uh, newscast. Do, do you think that the prime minister understands the consequences uh, of the uh, destruction of Gaza, the, the physical, military, political, existential consequences to uh, Israel. And, and we'll, we'll play President Erdogan in a minute, but before we play his latest, far more incendiary than even what he said to the parliament last week, do you think that uh, Netanyahu understands this? I think he's, I think in a sense, because the Americans have made made this point to him, but I think many Israelis, and this is the point I was making, even though they don't like Netanyahu, many of them like that um, ambassador, Israeli ambassador in Italy, who said, I don't want rationality, thank you. I just want the extermination of this evil. This, the, the, this is, I mean, <clears throat> overtaking, overcoming Netanyahu. It's, you know, it's just, you know, it is... It was a very emotional, almost you know, a neurotic um, a press conference uh, that he gave on on Sunday um, to the people, saying this is going to be a long war. It might go for a long war, but we're fighting for this is the second war of independence, and the emotion and the passion and the sort of sense of existential war um were quite apparent in, in that and reflected it's not he alone and there's of course a huge turmoil in israel because there's great divisions in the cabinet and rumors of resignations from the war cabinet although i think those are probably wrong but i mean yes this you know the 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 tensions and the emotions are just overwhelming you know, any reason or, or, or rationality or the sense of what's in a state's interest. You have uh, pointed out to us when we were discussing uh, the war in Ukraine that President Putin is actually a moderating influence, that there are elements uh, in his government 
uh, who wanted him to uh, march all the way to Kiev and uh, arrest or kill President Zelensky and and the Ukrainian government. Is uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu effectively holding back the tide and resisting the elements that want an existential destruction of Gaza? Or is he about to give into and lead those elements because he knows that once the war is over, his premiership and maybe even his freedom is over? He doesn't believe that. He thinks he's leading Israel in this great struggle. I mean, in, as I say, this uh, <laughs> this uh, the struggle of Armageddon, and that he is the only person that can lead it through this period. So, no, I don't think so. I mean, everyone else thinks he's finished, probably, but he doesn't believe that, and he believes that you know, with if it was any chance that he could persuade America to um, destroy. Iran or its nuclear program, then he would be doubly vindicated because he's been advocating that for 20 years. So uh, I, I think he sort of sees a sort of bright light of, you know, great godlike sort of figure moving across the landscape, leading the troops on to this battle, this final Armageddon between um, absolute evil uh, and uh, the, the light. Uh, <clears throat> It's very, it's, uh, it, you know, I don't want to overdo it, but it is, it's very serious, the trend that I've been describing to you over a couple of programs of increasingly the sort of, um, this, these ideas of it becoming an existential struggle uh, are overtaking um, any real sort of diplomacy. As to, I think it's actually the United States that keeps holding him back. Mm. And um, the cabinet is bitterly divided on this. Um, but um, the, the American advice, as I understand it, is just do short, sharp, you know, if you like, piercing probes into Gaza. But don't go all the way, go, don't go full in. And there have been complaints from, um, from Israeli generals who have a different view and, and who are saying, um, you know, what's the matter? This offensive is just short of uh, shrinking. Every time we look at it, it's gone lesser and lesser and lesser. And that's reflected on the ground too. Um, you know, it's very hard in the fog of war to be really sure what's going on. You can't do, a, a, if you like, an empirical view of what's happened. But because we have lots of, you know, sources uh, on, uh, around the region and that, the sort of the big picture is, in a sense, uh, Israel has gone into Gaza, but not in a not in a uh, in a major way. They've gone uh, and they've suffered some ambushes, and and we do know that. I mean, the IDF say there are no casualties and it's a great success. It's sounding rather like you know Ukrainian um, deputy defense minister, but I mean we do have absolute videos of. Um, Israeli uh, troops killed by the northern border by Hezbollah. I mean, there's a full, you know, the the whole thing is uh, Hezbollah is filming everything, uh, and we do can see 
um, that uh, they've had some tanks that have come in through Gaza. I, I know um, the Erez Crossing, I remember it well from the past. You go through Erez Crossing and then there's a sort of flat, sort of empty space till you get to Gaza City. Now, they've only gone into that, really, and to the Saladin Road, which is the main road going through Gaza. I think they've sh shot up one car, a tank has, and then they've left. Um, but they were ambushed because the uh, Hamas went through the tunnels and caught them from behind, mm. just as they did the same down in Rafa. And again, there, there were casualties, and let several reports suggest that um, the Israelis had to evacuate the casualties by what? helicopter. I want to play for you in just a moment, and I've teased this already enough times, the Erdogan clip, but, but you've just raised a question in my mind. Do you know, because there's nothing in the mainstream media, but uh, Colonel McGregor uh, has sources who report this, if there have been any American casualties in Gaza, American military casualties, American special forces casualties in Gaza. Can no, you enlighten us on that? There's no no evidence of, of that uh, at all. Um, okay. You know, and though I have the huge admiration for the, uh, the colonel, I, I'd be quite surprised if American special forces came into Gaza. I mean, they're not, they're not really, they don't know the territory. I mean, yes, they've been in Afghanistan, but Gaza is not Afghanistan. Um, so I'd be surprised if they were in. Advisors. People, you know, going there, telling them how to do it, what we did in Mosul, what we did in, you know, all these things. I'm sure that there are plenty of those, you know, special right. forces around actually taking up a gun and going in and trying to, you know, kill Hamas. I don't think, I don't think American forces would, would probably do that. I don't okay. know for sure, but I think it's unlikely myself. Okay, I appreciate that. Uh, obviously, this wasn't the colonel's personal observations. No, it was what no. he was his understanding from some of his sources. Here's the uh, clip of P President Erdogan, and he's addressing an enormous, enormous gathering of people. I'll let you say how many you think are there. It's well in excess of a hundred thousand. It's rather incendiary. It's in Turkish, so of course I will uh, read aloud uh, the subtitles in English. Hey Israel, how did you come here? How did you enter here? You are an occupier, you are an organization. The Turkish people know this. Israel, we will declare you as a war criminal to the world. What is being done in Gaza is not defense, but an open and despicable massacre. This determined and faithful stance exhibited by Gazans will be written in history as a glorious epic of resistance. What do you make of that? Not some two-bit political hack, but the president... Uh, of the country addressing one of the largest seas, S-E-A-S, of humanity uh, I've seen. I think, I think what he's seeing is, you know, Erdogan, people like him or don't like him, but he's politically canny. You know, he always knows, he's always playing one side off or another. And 
But I think he sees opportunities and spots things. The protest that you saw, which is very, very large, is occurring all around the region. Over the weekend, there were massive protests. In Europe, too, but which is also important. Biggest ever protest in London that they've seen in London. Um, they, the, the, he's seen these protests. I think he sees a, a, a change in sentiment in the mood. You know, Iraqis are all gathering at the borders with Jordan, desperate to, they've got tents there and camps, camping there, wanting the Jordanians to let them through so they can go and fight with Hamas in, in Gaza. I mean, this is a, you know, as this, as the, the war in Gaza and the pictures out of Gaza continue, it is inflaming sentiments uh, amongst many. And Erdogan, what you saw in that thing, is, is bidding for the leadership. I mean, he's bidding for the leadership that would take it away from General Sisi, from King Jordan, from all of these leaders, um, because he's there and saying what they want someone to say. I'm not saying it's right, but I'm talking about raw emotion. This is, you know, this is what we're dealing with. We're not dealing with literal politics of interests and money. We're talking about something much more raw and much more, if you like, uh, volatile, like far. Is and this so likely he's going to, to get it? Is this likely to morph into um, military action against Israel? I think it's a, it's, you know, for some time now, it's been quite a possibility that the. Jordanians, who are all Palestinians. I mean, the vast majority of the country is Palestinian and came from Palestine after uh, the Second World War when they were evicted from their villages. I mean, there's almost a sense of a sort of mass mobilization, sort of swarm mobilization um, taking place. And when you look at also what's happening in the West Bank, because it gets no attention in the mainstream media, but the Israelis have had to start using aircraft, F-16s, against, against the towns in, 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 in the West Bank, you know, who are not defended or not an enclave against Nablus, against Janine. They're using F-16s and drones. I mean, it's a, sort of a low-intensity war also in, in the West Bank. So, you know, this is, and many of those Jordanians have direct links. They came from the West Bank. And so they're itching. I mean, King Jordan is, is holding them back. But, you know, someone like Erdogan can give the word, and I don't know what would happen. As I've always said to you, this is a dynamic process. And as the, the war on Gaza, as the disaster in Gaza progresses, we will see further changes in sentiment and further political changes uh, in the region which will transform the region quite possibly. We have uh, seen in Ukraine how the myth of Western and NATO superiority has been exposed as a myth. You have articulated better than anyone, uh, Alastair, how the myth of uh, Israeli security uh, and intelligence superiority has been exposed as a myth. When these myths are exposed, do they undermine the moral 
authority, the moral uh, argument that the West and the Israelis have made? It certainly undermines completely the legitimacy, but more importantly than that, it undermines the whole sense of deterrence. The whole basis of Israel it is its deterrence. And they say that, the cabinet minister said, you know, we have to respond with such overwhelming force that it sears the consciousness of all our enemies around the world, that they will never think um, of approaching us today. And that is what was so smashed um, on the 7th of October, the whole idea of deterrence. And even now, as I described a little earlier, I mean, people just don't believe in it anymore. Israelis don't believe in it, let alone Turks, let alone people outside the region. The deterrence has gone. And so where, how do you put this back together again? How do you rebuild deterrence? Just bombing Gaza isn't going to do it. It's actually increasing, if you like, the polarization and the, and the schism within the Middle East. So I don't think there's an answer. Deterrence is gone. And just to be very clear, we have always regarded Israel and its deterrence is, if you like, a little NATO, but for the Middle East, just mm. as we have big NATO for Europe and for Ukraine, Israel was the little deterrence of NATO-like sort of overwhelming force to keep the Middle East in the hegemony, in the wider hegemony. So it's a, it's a really a profound blow, which is why there's so much turmoil in, in Washington, the thinking that you know, this, if, if Israel is not able to put this back together, um, this will be a major blow for the West and the Western uh, uh, ability to exercise its political influence around the globe again. That's the takeaway from your usual brilliant analysis that the uh, West's uh, regarding of Israel as a little NATO uh, may soon come to naught. We'll see. Um, one more uh, tape I want to run. Uh, this is of uh, Ishmael Haniyeh, uh, a Hamas uh, leader expressing a lot of anger about what's happening in Gaza. And again, I'll, um, I don't know if I can do this, Chris. It's giving me some sort of a signal on the screen, but I'll try and read uh, the subtitles. I have said this before, and I say it again. The blood of the women, children, and elderly. I am not saying that this blood is calling for your help. We are the ones who need this blood. So it awakens within us the revolutionary spirit. Typical of um, uh, Hamas leaders. I think it says something which is important to understand. He said, we need this blood because it awakens the revolutionary spirit. And, and that's really what we're talking about. Um, Hamas see what's happening in Gaza as a revolutionary act, as an act that is, if you like, awakening not just Palestinians, 
but the whole Middle East are awakening it for this big war that's coming. And, you know, this is what really concerns me, that it's becoming increasingly the sense of a metaphysical war against mm. Western civilization on the one side, the Western rule that has for the last 500 years set the rules for the conduct of politics around the world and a new, if you like, metaphysical struggle against, uh, against the West. And uh, that's what he's talking about, about a revolutionary spirit. Alistair Crook, always a pleasure, uh, my dear friend, no matter how gloomy uh, the world is. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. It's a pleasure. And it, for me, it's a privilege. And for the audience, uh, for me to uh, pick your brain. Thank you very much. We'll see you again next week. All the best, my dear friend. Thank you. Coming up in a few minutes, uh, the inimitable Ray McGovern. What does the intelligence community have to say about all of this? Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom. <laughs>